We on? Hi, and welcome to the uh, the weekly Lenten Bible study. Uh, apologies if you've tuned in uh, expecting to see Father Daniel, as I probably was last night, um, but unfortunately Father Daniel can't make it this evening, so uh, I've been asked to uh, to replace him. Um, so I think with God's grace, um, we can continue with this Bible study and, and hopefully have a nice reflection and, and take something, uh, take a personal message out of it for us all. So at this point, we're, uh, we're halfway through uh, the first week of Lent. So we've probably dusted off the cobwebs through preparation week and hopefully we're starting to generate some spiritual momentum. And I guess from a young age, we're, we're taught that Lent is, is a period of, of spiritual growth. We're always taught that you know, it's during the Lenten period we, uh, we sort of struggle and we develop those fruits that really take us through the remainder of the year. So that's not, that not, that's not news to us. And the, the church and our fathers also teach us that during Lent, it's often a good idea, or in fact, it's probably imperative that we, we have a personal theme to the fast. Um, it may be a request in that uh, we're asking God for a particular virtue, or we're asking him to, uh, sort of, uh, to rid us of a particular sin. But there's often a request, and if we can underline that word request on our, on our behalf, I think this evening, rather than focusing on the request, let, let's flip it around. Let's ask God, what's God's request during this Lenten period for us? What's his personal request to each and every one of us? Now, I guess if we were to truly ask ourselves that, we could probably start de- developing a list that's, that's pages long. I mean, there are so many, um, so many ways that we, we approach Lent, so much beauty within the church that we're directed to um, through struggle, through, you know, through the fasting, through whatever it may be. But for tonight, let, let's aim high. Let, let's go to the, uh, the, the most valuable, the most precious request from God. And I think with that, let's, let's read, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Luke 7.36. And we'll read uh, a part of the, uh, the story from the sinful woman, where the sinful woman was forgiven. And we'll reflect on that and try and understand what, what is that precious request from God. So if we open up our Bibles to Luke 7, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at the feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And glory be to God forever. Amen. So going back to the the ask, what's that precious? Let's look, as we read that passage, what was precious about that passage? What did we see had a lot of value assigned to it? And I guess most of us would, uh, would turn to the, the alabaster flask of oil, of fragrant oil. And then we learn that, uh, we learn from the fathers that, you know, that the value of that oil 
probably in today's terms is is equivalent to a year's wage. So it was it was a very very costly costly flask of oil. But that's actually not that's not the answer. That's not the precious the precious gift that God is after. To to explore it a little bit further, let's turn to the um, Philokalia and um, and pick up a, a story from there. Now, from for those of you who aren't uh, familiar with the Philokalia, it's essentially a collection of writings, um, mostly centered around the practices of virtues and very much to a monastic audience. And they started about the fourth century. So um, there's a particular story here, which um, we should give us quite an insight into this directly really into this this precious gift that God is after. So I'll just read it out. There is an old legend according to which God said to one of his angels, go down to earth and bring back the most precious thing in the world. So one angel brought a drop, drop of blood from a person who had sacrificed his life to save another. God said, indeed, O angel, this is precious in my sight but it is not the most precious thing in the world because it's a pretty good start. Then another caught the last breath of a nurse who died from a dreaded disease she contracted in nursing others to health. God smiled to that angel and said, Indeed, O angel, sacrifice on behalf of others is very precious in my sight, but it is not the most precious thing in the world. Then finally, one angel captured and brought a small vial containing the tears of a sinner who had repented and returned to God. God beamed upon the angel and said, Indeed, O angel, you have brought me the most precious thing in the world, a tear of repentance which opens the gates of heaven. A tear of repentance. And when we go back and reflect on the story of the sinful woman, and we go to verse 38 specifically, and she stood at, um, at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. So here we have the sinful woman, not, not shedding one or two tears. I mean, foreseeably to, to wash somebody's feet with tears you're, you're, you're beyond inconsolable. You're, you, you, have a, you have almost a waterfall of tears. I mean, how precious would that have been in the sight of God? The, these tears of repentance. And we ask ourselves, how many of us would have, would have thought just our tears of repentance hold so much value with God? And we turn to the fathers when we look at, when we look at tears. And I guess we need to qualify this slightly because the, the fathers, like I guess most topics, um, have written a lot about tears, different stages, different types of tears. We're, we're not talking about the, the tears that we experience necessarily day to day. These are very much repentant tears, tears of repentance. Um, but one of the fathers describes tears as uh, it's a sign of a limitation of speech. When one is in bewilderment, the tongue fails, the heart speaks, and the eyes are to tears. Tears are a language of the soul. Tears, they draw the scorn, you know, they're scolded by the stone-hearted. 
but they're most but they melt with the merciful heart they have a higher honor they enter into the presence of the almighty and they speak to him directly so how precious are these these repentant tears how many of us would have given thought to if we were asked what is most precious in the sight of god how many of us would have would have even thought about you know, our tears of repentance And it's funny, we, um, we've all grown up learning about repentance. We, uh, we read in the Gospels, um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, with St. John the Baptist, when he preaches, um, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's funny, I was, I was reading a passage recently, um, it was more of an encounter that, and I, I can't recall where, and where it was exactly, but it was an apparition of St. Mary. And she'd appeared to, to some youths. And, and it was interesting what, what she'd said. Her message was very, very simple. It was simply to repent. And you start focusing on this, this term repentance. And, and then you begin to realize the gravity that, that it actually has. It's not, it's not just a general term that the, uh, the church actually, um, the church uses. It's actually, it's something that needs a very, very specific effort. How many of us would actually think about going away and focusing, focusing on repentance and struggling for repentance and, and dedicating a fast for repentance. One of the fathers of the church um, said something very interesting. He's, he said, ask for repentance in your prayer and nothing else, neither for divine lights, nor for miracles, nor for prophecies, nor spiritual gifts, but ask for nothing but repentance. Because then, then he goes on to say, repentance will bring humility. And humility will bring the grace of God. And to me, that's a very, very important, if I can call it an equation or, or a process, because we're all, we're all aware of the importance of humility. We understand humility as being the, the foundation of virtues. Have we, ever, have we ever given a lot of thought to what, what, what really drives that humility? What precedes humility? How do, we, how do we obtain true humility? It's actually through repentance. And when we begin to really reflect on that, we actually begin to um, understand one of the difficulties God actually faces. And if I can call it a difficulty, and I'll elaborate. Again, one of the fathers, he goes on to say, God loves, us, God loves man very much. He knows very well the problems of each one of us, and he wishes to help us before we even ask of him. Since God is omnipotent, there are actually no difficulties which he cannot overcome, except for one. Can we imagine there's one difficulty that God cannot overcome? So the difficulty that God actually faces, and he, he goes on and says, I repeat it, it is the only one is that he cannot help us when we, our soul is not humble. God feels sad because when he sees his creature suffer, he cannot offer any help. Whatever help he offers, it will harm the person because he lacks a humble mindset. So again, this begins to really reinforce the importance of repentance. 
So with true repentance, this gives us humility. And through humility, it provides grace. And for me, it was, it was quite a light bulb, light bulb moment, really to start focusing and dedicating time and dedicating effort to repentance. And I, I was away recently uh, for a work trip. I had, I had three or four days um, in Perth. And I was thinking to myself, you know, why didn't I realize this before? Why didn't the church, or why wasn't, why wasn't it so apparent to the importance of, of really directly striving for this repentance? And in fact, the answer is, it actually is. I spent some time um, one particular evening really, really doing what the fathers tell us to do um, as, as a matter of course. I thought to myself, this particular evening, I'll, I'll do my best to clear my mind. I'll go into a really quiet place. I'll prepare for my, uh, my quiet time. And I'll actually try and be very mindful of what, uh, of what I'm praying, particularly with the Agbeya. So when I pray something from the Agbeya, and I like to say we pray the Agbeya, we don't read the Agbeya, I won't recite it as, as I normally do. I'll actually... Um, Try and, try and really invest into the words that I'm saying. And, and, and it truly was a remarkable, um, remarkable evening. And, and I, was, I was really astonished how consistent the theme of repentance was throughout the, uh, throughout the Agbeya, whether it's in the Psalms or the, the, the litanies or the, uh, any, any of the prayers of the Agbeya. There was such a strong theme, whether we're asking forgiveness or you know, asking the, the, the passages are drawing us to repentance or asking God to have mercy on us, or whether we're asking St. Mary to have, uh, ask, ask God to have mercy on us. There is such a strong theme of repentance. Then I quickly realized this is what the church is asking us to do daily, seven times a day. We're constantly approaching God, constantly approaching with a repentant heart, with a repentant theme. And it really began to, to reinforce the, the importance of, of repentance as a foundation. So we ask ourselves, can one of us, is it possible for one of us in this Lenten period to offer Christ that really precious gift, that really precious tear of repentance? Is there one of us out there that can actually struggle through this Lenten period Dedicate a true fast, struggle through it, struggle to the point that we, are, you know, we, we feel the hunger, prepare for our quiet time, honour our quiet time, but really dedicate it for, for a repentant theme. You know, we, we remember from the fathers that he who knows his sins is greater than he who raises the dead. That's a saying from St. Isaac the Syrian. So. So what we're asking for is actually very, very precious, and it's not something that comes very easily, yet it's actually something very, very precious to God. Now, there, many, there may be many of you out there who, who sense that um, this is actually a little bit difficult. This is very much for, uh, for, for the holy people. But let me, let me leave you with one saying. Oh, if the sinner only knew... So Christ never enriches the one who is rich, nor does he feed the one who is satisfied. 
nor justify the one who is righteous, nor redeem the one who relies on his own power, nor he who is a scholar. For whoever is poor, hungry, sinful, or ignorant, he is the guest of Christ. Oh, if the sinner only knew that his rank in God's eyes is foremost among the cares of the Almighty and his dispensation from eternity, and that the mind of God has been preoccupied throughout all the ages with his return, and then that the entire heaven awaits in expectation for his return, he would never be ashamed of himself, condemn his ability, or procrastinate his return. So the mind of God has been preoccupied for the ages about our return as sinners. So let's, let's try during this Lenten fast. We're still very much at the beginning of um, the fasting period. Let's really capture this theme of repentance in whatever we've asked for Christ. Let's dedicate time. Let's ask, stand before God in our quiet time. Let's struggle. And let's try and offer Christ that precious jewel, that precious, that the most precious thing in the world that he is after. And glory be to God forever. Amen.